0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge.
1: Pastor Zach Vestanese is going to speak in a moment. Uh, He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Petaluma. And uh, I I love Zach. He really blessed the men this weekend. He has a quiet confidence in the word of God, believing that God's spirit is going to minister to God's people by the power of God's word. And I think you're going to pick up on that this morning from this very excellent uh, message. But Zach and I have known each other for a number of years. We became friends when we were both youth pastors many years ago. So it was actually an honor today to be singing that song that we sang, All My Life. You have been faithful while I was standing next to Zach because we both became senior pastors of long-established churches at right about the same time. We went through all the difficulties and pains and hurdles that come with uh, that kind of responsibility at about the same time of life. Our oldest daughters left for college at about the same time of life. So we've been on these parallel tracks together, and we can both sing and say, all my life, God has been faithful. So I, I know you're really going to enjoy this time together. So please welcome with me, Pastor Zach Vesnes.
0: Thanks, Sam. Well, thank you. Good morning, Calvary Monterey. It's uh, it's really a privilege to be with you. I know that everybody says that it's like what you're supposed to say when you're a guest speaker, but I I really mean that. Um, it's a privilege to be with you. First of all, just to be in Monterey, it's beautiful here, and um, just the respect and the admiration that I have for for your pastor Nate and for his wife Christina, it's it's real. And like Nate was saying, he took the words right out of my mouth. I was standing there singing. Um, just thinking of the faithfulness of God. And I love, I love those worship songs, uh, thinking of all of us here this morning that we can all say with absolute confidence, right? Some songs are for a certain season in life or uh, maybe they relate to someone in a really personal way, but I, we could look at the oldest person here to the youngest person and we could all say, man, the Lord has been faithful, Amen. And so I agree, Nate, just to sing that, thinking about the seasons that God has brought us through and how faithful the Lord has been, it's, it's really, really, really special. So I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I want to introduce you to my family really quick. Like Nate said, I'm from Petaluma. I've been pastoring there for 22 years. Uh, I was handed the church when I was 24, which is a bad idea. Don't ever hand the church to a 24-year-old. But uh, this is my wife. She's amazing. Her name's Kara. Next to her is my youngest daughter, Galilee. She's into gymnastics. She's in eighth grade. Uh, My middle daughter, Ellie, is a sophomore in high school, and she's about to get her license in a month. So pray for us and everyone in Petaluma. (laughs) Um, My oldest daughter, Abby, is next to her. She's wrapping up her sophomore year in college. Up in Oregon and uh, she's studying to be an elementary school teacher. So uh, really, really special to see what God's doing in her life in this season. And then my son uh, doesn't normally wear cat sweaters (laughs) but we're at the Christmas tree lot and so he threw that on and uh, he's a freshman at college this year. He's 18 and um, he's studying to be a fireman. He's in the fire academy so I'm really proud of him too. And it's just a weird feeling reaching up to hug your son. So, but that's, that's the season of life I'm in. I'm thankful that he's taller than me and most people are. So, um, I love this stage, by the way. You're, you, you know, lifts you up. So, um, hopefully you're in Esther chapter four by now. Um, how many of you guys were at the conference this weekend? It was a great, great time, guys. Such a great time with you. Such a great group of guys and just seeing every every one of you kind of lean into what the Lord had for us was was re- I know I'm gonna I'm gonna go away full and uh, I love the words of Jesus where He said when you give, it's given to you pressed down, measured out, and overflowing. And I feel like Jesus has kept His promise to me. You know, I came um, to to pour out to give what what the Lord has given me for you guys, and I feel like I'm going home full. So. Thank you guys, um, really appreciate the time. Esther might seem like a weird place to go as a, as a guest speaker, um, but I just figured after spending two days with the men, we got to balance the, the, bring balance back to the force here. So all that masculinity, we're going to look at the life of an incredible woman of God. And uh, like any good guest speaker, I guess I'll just start with a Lord of the Rings illustration. Is that all right? How many of you like any Lord of the Rings fans here? I'll just admit, I'm not a real fan, I'm a faker, I like the movies, haven't read all the books, um, but it's an incredible story. I know, I know some real Lord of the Rings fans and they're, they're like in their own category, so I'm not gonna pretend I'm one of those, but there's this part of the story, it's actually near the beginning, when Gandalf is rehearsing um, the, the, the terrifying story of the history of the rings. And he's also telling Frodo about the rise of the dark lord Sauron. And Frodo, who seems to be uh, getting the sense that he's going to be called to participate in something, that there's somehow going to be some responsibility that's put on his shoulders, he looks up at Gandalf and says, I wish this didn't have to happen in my time. To which Gandalf replies, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for us to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given us. That's really true, isn't it? I don't know how many of you can relate. I know that I can when sometimes I look at the world, I look at... uh, you know, what we're going through, what we're dealing with. I listen to my eighth grade daughter and I hear the discussions they're having at public school, and I think, man, I wish it didn't have to happen in our time. I think especially the older I get, uh, that temptation kind of settles in. You find yourself You know, kind of thinking as the past times is so much better. The glory days, you know, uh, you're longing for, you know, the way that things used to be. We didn't have to deal with stuff like we're dealing with today. We didn't have these issues we can sometimes say. And so it's easy to forget how the problems of the past seem easier to deal with than the difficulties of the present, primarily because they're already resolved. It's easy to look back with the hindsight of 2020 and say, "I I wish I had those problems instead of today's problems because we forget, those are already resolved. And so God has placed us in these times that we live. Paul actually says that to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. Look at this verse in Acts 17:26. What Paul says, he says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. What Paul's essentially saying is God has picked us for these times. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake, but God has placed us here, which means that the only challenges we'll face, the only problems that we can confront, and the only difficulties that we can overcome are the ones that are right in front of us here and now. And so one of the major challenges I think that we face is... What some people call the, the information crisis. It's not just that the news that we get is becoming more and more biased and unreliable, the sources of our news, but, but I think the overwhelming amount of information that we're trying to process on a daily basis, they're saying is a crisis. It's a crisis for human psychology. It's leading to all kinds of depression and anxiety, a sense of overwhelming the the amount of information that we're trying to constantly process. And I think the temptation with this for us as believers is to live outside of the times and place that God has planted us. Don't, don't raise your hand, but let me just ask you to think of this. How many of us know far more about events and issues that are going on nationally and globally than we do locally? That's probably a lot of us, because that's the information that we're consuming. That's what's on our feeds. That's the news that we're watching, the big, dramatic stories that are going on in other parts of the world. But as one author said, we can so easily get caught up in distant dramas that we can't do anything about except speculate. Do you relate to that? You don't have to say yes. I'm, I ask rhetorical questions a lot. And there's always, there's always a couple people in my church that answer. And I always appreciate it, but I'm like, you don't have to answer. But maybe you can relate to that. Getting caught up in, in distant issues, big picture problems, and not really paying attention always to the things that are right here in front of us. It's easy, isn't it? to miss when we're caught up in those big conversations, to miss the real-life opportunities that are right here. And Paul, again, in this passage in Athens, uh, in Acts 17, I I promise we'll get to Esther 4, but, but he says that. He says, when he walked around Athens... He says that the people there he saw they were spending their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now that's a statement about the ancient world that applies very much to our world today. And so the story of Esther I think comes in the midst of this kind of temptation. It's a story I think that shines as an example the story of this incredible woman in the Old Testament. And so I want to look at this together here in Esther chapter 4. Just a little bit of the background because we're jumping into the middle. Esther was an orphan. Her parents, we don't know what happened to them, probably passed away in the, in the exchange that ended up in the captivity of Jerusalem. We know that she was situated there and living with her uncle Mordecai, carried off into captivity and through a series of events, finds herself, of all places, in the palace of the king. She's she's the queen of this this region and this empire through the providence and and sovereignty of God. It's an amazing story, but she's discovered through her uncle, Mordecai, that there is a plan, a sinister plan, to kill all of the Jewish people in the kingdom, and she's Jewish, And so Mordecai sends word through the servants, through these sort of back channels underground. He gets word to Esther that this plan is being carried out by an evil man named Haman. And so Mordecai calls on Esther to risk leveraging her relationship to the king to save her people. And Esther replies, she sends a message back to Mordecai because she's like, you don't understand. You don't just go in front of the king and ask for things. You don't get an audience with a king in those times, apparently in that kingdom, you had to be summoned by the king and everyone knew if you try to barge in there and if you just go uh, on your own without being invited, that could very easily be a death sentence, in fact, they had this tradition that's described in this passage where she, she relays to Mordecai the way it works. She says, if the king doesn't reach out his golden scepter, I'm, I'm dead. I'm done. I can't just go in the, in the presence of the king and ask for this request. And she says, besides, the king hasn't called for me for over 30 days. And so she knows the risk and yet... She knows what's being requested of her. And so we're going to pick up the story here in verse 12 of Esther chapter 4. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. And so Mordecai told them to reply to Esther do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom, and here's this famous phrase, right, from the story of Esther, the one that we all love, for such a time as this. This is Mordecai's uh, appeal to Esther, to take this risk, to take the step. Who knows if you haven't been appointed in this very position, for such a time as this. Of course, we can't blame Esther for being hesitant under these circumstances. Most of us will never know what it would be like to take a life or death step or risk in one moment like this. And so we don't blame her for this, but Mordecai appeals to her. He uses this This incredible phrase, you know, who knows, this perspective, what if God has called you to this time for this purpose? And so verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law and if i perish i perish <laughs> what a statement hey i don't know i don't know how this is going to go i'm i'm going to do what you're asking me to do i have no idea how this is going to work out but if i perish i perish and what i want to what i want to draw from this incredible story in esther's life in the old testament is simply this, this question, this perspective of what if, what if you and I believed that we have been placed by God right where we are in these times that we live with the very challenges that we're facing right now. See, if you're anything like me, you, you go through the trials and challenging seasons of life and you say to yourself something along the lines of, I don't need this. <laughs> God, why, why are you letting this happen? You know, maybe we can relate to Frodo. I wish this didn't happen in my lifetime. I wish I didn't have to deal with this. God, why aren't you dealing with this? Why aren't you taking this way? Why are you making me go through this? And we forget what Peter wrote in, in his epistle to the New Testament church when he said, And now, brothers and sisters, if need be, you go through seasons of heaviness so that the testing of your faith might produce something in you much more precious than gold that will result in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus when he comes. See, God has a very different perspective than you and me. We say when we go through trials, difficulties, dangers, we say, I don't need this, and God says, yes, you do. And maybe you have a testimony like that. I know I have some stories like that too, where I could tell you of seasons and things that God has brought me through that were tremendously difficult, painful, scary. I didn't know in some ways if I was going to make it through those seasons. And yet, as I look back with the hindsight 2020, that kind of perspective. As I see what God has done, as I see what God has produced in my life, I've actually come to the place where I'm thankful for those things. It's not like I'd want to go through it again. I'm not crazy. But I go, man, God, what you produced through those trials, through those troubles, through those struggles, in that suffering, God, I wouldn't trade it. And I actually can see, I think you could not have produced it in my life in any other way. And those things are precious to me now. They really are. I wish that I could just read it in a book. (laughs) I wish that I could just take a class and pass the test on paper and be like, got it. But apparently there's a lot of things that the only way that God can produce in our lives is by leading us through. We walk with God by faith in these times that we live, that he has placed us and he works out his good plans for us. Now what if we had this perspective about the times that we live in? And what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is just give you three simple encouragements about our relationship to the times that we live in. How can we use our time for the glory of God? How can we use our time to, to have this perspective and participate in the work that God is doing? Three, three simple encouragements for you this morning. Number one, faith thrives in the atmosphere of uncertainty. Now you may ask, well, what does that have to do with time? Everything. Faith thrives in the atmosphere of uncertainty, and I realize, man, we waste so much of our time looking for a guarantee. We waste so much of our time, when it comes to the life of faith, waiting for certainty. Maybe we sense God is stirring in our hearts. Maybe we we hear God's calling on our lives but we look at our circumstances and we just go I don't know, I don't know how this is going to work. This seems risky. This doesn't seem safe. And so we waste we waste time Waiting for some kind of guarantee or some kind of certainty. One of, my, one of my favorite things about this passage in Esther's story and in her life is the way that Mordecai talks to her. I hadn't noticed this before, but did you notice what he says there? He says, Maybe the Lord has placed you in this position at this time. He says, Actually, this is the way he says it. Who knows? <laughs> There's not certainty. There's no guarantee. And, and if you're Esther, I mean, if this is really a human story, you're like, wait, you want me to risk my life? What, what kind of guarantee are you going to give me? What kind of certainty can you provide that this is going to work out all right? None. Who knows? But Esther, you're here. You're in a position to do something. And you can trust you can trust God. As it, as it pertains to our time as believers and how we use it, I wanna remind you this morning, I know this isn't maybe something new, but, but there's so many things that we know that I'm not sure we actually believe. That faith thrives in the atmosphere of uncertainty. The, the opportunities for the greatest displays of faith are when we face that kind of uncertainty. For Esther, she didn't have a guarantee, just an opportunity. And she stepped into it by faith. What, what might be the steps represented in, in this room, in a group this size? What might be the steps of faith represented here that God is calling us to take? And I pray that, that God would put courage in us through the example of Esther and so many others, even in the face of uncertainty, to respond to God with faith and obedience. Well, the second thing, an encouragement with regards to our time, your work is not wasted. Your work is not wasted. When I, when I think of time, when I think of my life, how fast it seems to be going by, how quickly my kids are growing up, when I compare myself to other pastors and other ministries, I can fall into this trap so easily, and maybe you would relate to this, where my life starts to feel meaningless. Man, I'm not doing anything significant like those people. My life doesn't seem to be having the impact that I see other people having. I'm not doing, you know, incredible, epic things on a daily basis. In fact, most days it's difficult for me to identify what is the significance of what I'm doing. I mean, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm not talking about just wasting time, but, but I don't always see what it's resulting in. In fact, far more often than not. You ask most pastors, and because you work in the lives of people, it's like some of our favorite days are when there's something broken in the building and we can go fix it. Because we can leave that day and say, ah, I can see what I did. I I can see the results of my work. But I think whatever we're doing on a daily basis, we can all wrestle with that sense of significance and where that feeling of futility can creep in and turn into frustration and maybe even resentment. Well, what does that have to do with the life of Esther? What does that have to do with this passage? Remember that Esther's story is here and so many of us know it probably because of her faith and bravery in exposing Haman's plot and rescuing her people. But what we forget is everything that came before that, everything that went behind that, everything that was underneath this incredible moment of faith. What was that? Well, remember I told you that she was, she was orphaned from a people that were enslaved and led into captivity she had to make this journey at some point all the way to Susa where the king's harem was. She, she had to earn the favor of the king's servant to get this opportunity. And when you read sort of the backstory in the earlier chapters of Esther, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Did you know that she spent six months of her life going through some sort of oiling process? I don't know what that's all about, but... I think she had to have days during that six months of like, what are we doing here? This is so strange. What's the significance of this? There's another six month period after the oiling process that she spent perfuming for six months. Just to be prepared to go into the presence of the king. I mean, if you wanna think about it this way, basically, Esther won a beauty pageant for a pagan king To become the queen. That was her route into the palace. And it's just kind of a bizarre, it's kind of a bizarre story if you really think about it. But what I love is this perspective that Scripture gives us of how God was using all of that the meaningless times, the hidden times, the forgotten times, the strange times. He was using all of that. None of her faithfulness and work in those times was wasted because it would all lead up to where God would use her mightily. I love that perspective. I love thinking about those of us, maybe maybe you're here and maybe tomorrow morning, You're going to go to work and Mondays are meeting days in your company. It's just meeting after meeting after meeting. And you leave on Mondays and you're like, what is the significance of all these meetings? How am I ever supposed to get my work done if I'm just in meeting after meeting after meeting? It seems meaningless. Seems like a waste of time. Until maybe the day comes, maybe it's already happened where one of your coworkers after a long day of meetings starts to open up about some real things going on in their life. And you have an opportunity to share the hope that you have in Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, your work is not wasted with God. It might take time. We might need patience. Patience. But we should be faithful knowing and believing this. Or maybe, maybe you just feel like you run errands all day. I feel like sometimes my wife just feels like an unpaid Uber driver, you know, with four kids. She drops one kid off, picks the next one up. You know, picks the next one up, picks the next one up. And, and just by the time she gets to the end of one loop, it's time to start again and, you know, pick them all up where she dropped them off or drop them off where she picked them up or whatever. It's crazy. She just seems to do, do laps around Petaluma. And in the midst of that, man, she's, she's maintaining and organizing and planning so many things that holds our family together, running all these errands and doing all these things. And I'm sure there's days where that just feels really Insignificant. Until the, the people that she runs into at the grocery store in the just typical routine that she's in, she starts to see you know opportunities where God, God's using her in those places. And you just never know, is what I'm trying to say. You just never know how God is using the times and the places that you're in to prepare you for the work that he has. And I want you to know that your work is not wasted. Anyone here serve in children's ministry? You're awesome. (laughs) Seriously. You, You are the treasures of this church pouring into our kids and passing on the faith that we believe. But here's the crazy thing about children's ministry. Man, you come to church and you're pouring out and the classes in some weeks are chaotic and you wonder, is any of this making any difference at all? And, and what if, I just want to ask you this, what if you never in your lifetime see the result of the work that you're doing? Are you still willing, and I think you are because you've raised your hands, to invest knowing that your work is not wasted? Man, I just, I just can't wait to see, I have this picture in my mind that somewhere in heaven, all the children's ministry workers through all the years are gonna be somewhere and all the people who are in heaven because of those people are just gonna walk down the line and, and tell the stories. You never knew how God used you in my life. You never saw how God saved me because of you. Your work is not wasted. I just want to say this to you. Do you you know how many people in the Bible were faithful and working in the purposes of God in their time who never, ever saw the fulfillment of his promises? We need that same kind of faith, don't we? Well, the final thing I want to encourage you with this morning is your waiting is not in vain. I think, as it relates to the times that God has planted us, the place that He has called us, it's good to know that our faith thrives in an atmosphere of uncertainty because we're surrounded by uncertainty all the time. Our work is not wasted, but our waiting is not in vain. And here's, I think, what's on my heart to communicate you with this. With this point is that most of us, most of us, just won't be an Esther. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. Uh, but I'm breaking it to myself too, so we're all in the boat. Most of us are not gonna have this epic story like Esther. Our life is a gift, God's writing a great story, he's the author and the finisher of our faith, but, but let's face it, most of us when the history books are written are not gonna be in them as the people who saved our civilization, you know? America was saved because Nate Holdred stepped up on that day. Maybe it'll happen. Nada, I, I hope you're ready if it does, but <laughs> probably not, right? But here's, here's I think, the perspective that, that we can have when it comes to these times that, that God has called us. That as we wait, the Lord is faithfully working and the day of deliverance will certainly come. Now, maybe, maybe you're like me and you'd rather, when you read the story of Esther, you'd rather be like, no, I want to be Esther. God, I want you to use me mightily. I want you to do epic things for my life. Or you just read the Bible like that. Like, I want to be Moses holding up the staff right there when the Red Sea parts. God, use me like that. But what if you're called, what if we're called to just be the 700,000 Israelite in line waiting to cross the Red Sea? What if that's what God's called us to? To be his people, faithful to him in the times that he's called us, believing that our waiting is not in vain and that the day of deliverance will come. Again, I love Mordecai's faith in this passage in verse 14 because he says to Esther, Esther, if you, if you don't step up, God will raise someone up. God will raise up a deliverer. And who knows when and who knows how, but I know who God is. And I love the faith of Esther and I love the faith of Mordecai in this passage just to know our waiting is not in vain. We know who he is. I want to close with a, a story that I heard some years ago. I, I, I wish I could remember the name of who this was. I was listening to it while driving and um, I just haven't been able to, to reconnect to it and find it, but it's a true story about a man that was captured in World War II and put in a concentration camp he was a prisoner of war and he was tortured for years. In fact, part of why his story was so notable was the sheer amount of time that he survived. It was it was really significant. It was like seven or eight years as a prisoner of war being, being tortured on a regular basis. And, and so as they're interviewing and as he's writing about his story, the question comes up, how did you do it? How did you survive? How did you make it? And he tells about how other people would come and go from the camp. You know, after he'd been there a year or two or three, he'd see new prisoners brought in, and they would always say to their men, we're going home by Christmas, boys. We're going home by Christmas. But Christmas would come and go, and they would lose heart, and they would lose hope. And in his view, ultimately, they would succumb not make it, not last, not be able to endure because they had no hope. And he, having some sort of rank or influence with the men that were there in the camp with him, he would tell his guys, he said, I don't know when, I don't know how, but we're going home. And that story's always stuck with me. It's so powerful to me because what one really truly requires more faith on the surface it looks like the guy who's naming the date right naming it and claiming it we're going home by christmas that sounds really impressive wow he's he's calling it he's putting all his chips in on a on a specific time seems like a lot of faith but it might just be more of a wish don't you think in really reflecting on it that It takes way more faith to say, God, I don't know how long and I don't know how you'll do it, but I believe and I'm going to hold on to my faith in who you are. The day of deliverance will come and you will bring us home. I don't know the number of days that God has appointed for you or me. I know that God has called us to live in these times, and we didn't get to choose that, but we can choose what we do with this time. I'm so thankful that as we wait for that day, our waiting is not in vain. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor
1: at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.